0: The following resource is presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to A Counselor's Point of View. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. Okay, we want to welcome our online listeners. This is part two of a mini-series that we're doing within the series And last week we talked about the fruit of the social area of life under part one of spiritual gift. It's not that it's made clear as to what your gift is. It's actually imparted to you through the prophetic utterance of the presbytery. That's the key. Meaning the presbytery has to get a prophetic utterance from the spirit to give to you through the laying on of hands. And when your gift within you unites with that presbytery commissioning, there is power that is activated within that gift. Paul said to Timothy, For I need to come and lay hands on you, kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you. So there's a special connection there in respects to something already being in Timothy and there had to be a laying on of hands from the presbytery, his leader, in order to ignite afresh that spiritual gift. You think that through? There is many people who are walking around acting as if they are functioning in a spiritual gift that has not been commissioned by the presbytery. Paul is either a liar or he's telling us the truth. What 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 is the significance of God keeping that in order? I mean, literally he's saying that there has to be a prophetic utterance given to the presbytery so the presbytery can lay hands on you to kindle afresh the gift that is already in you. That seems like a lot of extra steps to me. Who, who is these body members supposed to be working for? Huh? Well, where is he? Well, then we don't need any of this church leadership. And by the way, that's the mentality of the emergent youth today. Okay, stick to the original question is why would the person need to go to the presbytery to have a laying on of hands to get this prophetic utterance that the presbytery is supposed to be getting so that through that prophetic utterance there's an igniting like a flame kindling afresh because there's eight occupational gifts and then there the rest of our manifestation the entire order uh, we were referring to earlier of shifting from preaching under a tree to actually establishing an Ephesus, actually establishing a uh a Pergamum, actually establishing a Corinth church, actually establishing the, what makes that switch possible is the eight occupational gifts. Once you use the eight occupational gifts, which you should have an elder for each one of those, once you have that, then you can actually set a structure together where the deacons will support that gifting. The reason why you have the structure of deacons is so that the elders are released to do the ministry. That's how it works. The reason why you have a wife is so that the husband can do his job. That's how it works. She's to take all of her gifts, all of her... I believe there's a verse in the Bible in Genesis after she got her consequences that... God gave her three simple, and they are simple, gals, three simple consequences. What are they? Pain and childbirth. And it actually reads in the Hebrew, yet all of your desire shall be unto your husband. Someone want to say that in those exact words? I'm just curious on how many minds got that. So yet all of your what? Shall be what? Your... All of your complete design is for the sake of your husband. Why in God's name, literally God's name, would he require that of us? Yeah, but what would be the eternal purpose? Because there's no division in eternity. Christ is our husband. The responsibility that Eve had that she snapped was to communicate to the world you can do your own deal. You don't need your husband. This was about me. I wanted to have the knowledge of good and evil. (laughs) Really? Let's see how well this works out for you and the rest of mankind. The spiritual gifts are built upon the garden scene. You shall have Pain in birthing your children, you shall have pain in, what's the next one? Bringing forth your children, many women interpret that as God stuttering and repeating himself with pain of birth, that is not what the Hebrew says, it's raising them up into young women and young men of the Lord, it is going to be an absolute horrific process for her. Grief and pain and agony of seeing her children struggling to find out where life really is. I know some godly women that take that role very seriously and they agonize over the decisions of their children. Whereas the husband is kind of off taking care of the household in which he's responsible for. It's all right there. So what does Satan want to do? He wants to distract the family and get the woman busy with things outside of those one, two, three. I've known women to have surgery, purposely have surgery to avoid the birth of children. Constantly delaying the primary three responsibilities of womanhood. You see, the fact that Eve was taken out of his side, she knew, she didn't guess at this. She didn't look at God and go, well, that was a trick question. She knew what her job was. is to fulfill her husband because she was taken from her husband. Fulfill her husband because she was taken from her husband. My job is to fulfill the responsibilities given to Jesus Christ as head of the church, that's pretty much it. So it's my wife's responsibility to yield all of her desires to me, so that I can do that job most effectively. And when Satan throws the the roles out of place, all of a sudden there's tiredness, there's exhaustion. There's this wearing down, this constant wearing down to where what God set up to establish the church is a joke. If you haven't been noticing, our Christian leaders have been dropping like flies. Why? Because this emergent idea of roles within humanity and roles within the church is just being liquefied. It just drains off somewhere. No one knows. So the youth of our day have to come up with their own version, as I was told this week, of leadership. Because it's not being demonstrated anymore. They're either called too conservative or if they were conservative, look what happened to them. There's no validity anymore in the roles because of the person using the person for the reason why it doesn't work. Whether mankind falls or stands up again or falls again and stays down, it makes no difference to God. There's no difference to God when it comes to understanding the role of a body member in Christ Jesus. So let's take a look at that. A spiritual gift is a God-given ability Planted within your soul by the Holy Spirit, activated upon the day of your salvation, and is a direct manifestation of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And every member of the body of Christ receives at least one of these. And we're guesstimating that we receive this gift when? When you're born. I look at our present president, and he is, and I said this before he became president. I said, what I've gathered on this man thus far, he is one of the most advanced, well-thought-out leaders this world is ever going to see. And it's proven to be correct. There's a lot of people who have made some very rude statements about him because he has not made decisions that necessarily support their beliefs. But I'm telling you, this man is gifted in leadership. And there is stuff being decided behind doors and underneath tables that would blow your mind if you knew about it. He's gifted. He is a very, very gifted man. Probably a genius. And I know the Masons came up with that word, but it's probably true. His mind is beyond human thinking. That's what a genius is. A mind that is beyond human thinking. Is it an accident that it's rooted back from the root word that Genesis is? Of course it's not. It's in the beginning. They, these people have the original thoughts, original ideas. Well, I, I can tell our president a thing or two. Not one thought in his small brain is original. And you're the only one that gets original thought. How do we do that? Through Christ. Through the mind of Christ. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. And so when we are allowing the mind of Christ to function within us, we are having thoughts of the Creator. Past, present, and future. Right in our minds. Who gets one? Who gets two? Well, you know, that's none of my business. Because that's up to God's calling. The answer to the question, which was not really a trick question, kind of felt like a trick question. The answer to my question is this. We are given our spiritual gifts through activation through the Holy Spirit by the Presbytery because you're supposed to be working for the Presbytery. Whoever ignites, you're responsible to that person. You see, Paul had to come and lay hands on Timothy to kindle afresh the gift of God that was in him to carry out the work of service he was asked to do. Timothy was falling down on the job, and Paul went, "Oh yeah, I got to come lay hands on you." You see, it, it it's keep that flow moving throughout the discipleship process. You get the anointing or the igniting from the presbytery because you're supposed to be working for the presbytery. What's that? <laughs> Okay, let's break this down here a little bit. Charisma and grace. The Greek word used for spiritual gift is charisma. So the term charismatic, oh wow, they're a charismatic believer. It's because that they are accurate in their communication, saying they are functioning in the gifts more than you see someone down at the presbytery church. You see? They're seeing manifestations of speaking in tongues and miracles. And they stand up on their chairs and dance. And they they got called charismatic because of these manifestations of spiritual gifting. So they're actually correct in labeling a certain group of believers charismatic. But it actually means... Grace, charisma, an act of grace. So the fact we got to we got to connect these two now. Instead of referring to charismatics as manifestors of the spiritual gifts, we need to connect them to manifesting acts of grace in Christ Jesus. Each member of the body is given a special measure of grace, unmerited favor. Would someone please read out for us Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7. We are given measurements. And if we are into the sin of competition, we're not going to settle with our measurements. Have you noticed some people that you can share the truth with and they're really, really working, thinking on getting it? And then I'm learning through my agedness that when I see that look on their face, I need to ask them the question, what did you just hear me say? Uh, well um, Well, when I get that, I pretty much know I'm going to get myself an ice cream sandwich answer. It's not going deep. But then there's another person you can talk to and you say, could you just feed back to me what you heard me saying here? (laughs) Yeah, I'll tell you what you were saying. And just bam, 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 bam. And they take the depth of who they are in Christ and wrap it in that answer and give it to you. That is a confession of measurement of grace. The charismatic church calls it the anointed ones. You know, I love you guys over there in Africa, but I'll tell you what, sometimes it's a little bit annoying hearing you constantly say you are such a man of God, anointed, charismatic for the gifts. Well, I am, But that's not what it's about. The measurement of the Holy Spirit's grace given and imparted through me grants me the understanding of the richness of the mystery in Christ Jesus. Everyone's got it. Who's an indwell believer. But some have got a little measurement and others seem to be overdosed. So you want to you want an answer to why is it that some people really get this instantly and others just constantly wonder, want more? This is why. Now what I'm going to do is connect something for you here over the next few weeks. Is the fact that people who are given certain gifts, occupational gifts, must have a high measurement of grace absolutely must have a higher measurement of grace because of the price tag of that gift. Whereas others, all they want to know is how to sweep the floor with excellence unto Jesus Christ. And he will give it. He'll crank up whatever your spiritual gifts are to 100%, maybe a little more. And then there's others that go absolutely all the way through their life picking up trash, painting on graffiti off of a wall, doing it as unto Jesus, and, and God looks at him brings them unto heaven and says, "Well done, my faithful servant. Well I only used to paint brush. Well done." Whereas another one comes in with a, a track list of leading ,3462 people to the Lord. The salvation. Well done, my faithful servant. And so you put those two leaders together, and that leader says, You only got to paint walls. That wall painting was just as important as leading a soul to Jesus Christ for salvation. No difference. Because both were functioning in a hundred percent. Of their calling. Janitor. Or janitor of the souls. Do you see that? But measurement. Of grace. Christ will be 100% obedient. To the measurement of faith. That God has assigned to you. In Christ Jesus. Inside you. He will not go. One percentage over or under not one and I'll tell you what that that brings such comfort to me to know that doesn't matter whether I'm going to line up with what God wants for me or not Christ will be obedient 100% to what God said that's Stephen's measurement my son here it is, here's the numbers don't go over don't go under that's what's being said. Does that not bring comfort to you? I can't be like a Billy Graham. I can't be like like some of my mentors in the area. They're really good. I can't. It's not in here. But we play this game. We compete to get something we're not. Remember the scripture we opened with today? Something about the eyes and the ears and whatever. What can the eye not do? It can't hear. And so, what if the eye tried to hear? (laughs) Sounds silly, doesn't it? Could you just stay looking at me because I need to hear you? Is it going to happen? Not unless I can read lips. So you just kind of wonder how many Christians are running around out there trying to be toes when they're actually fingers, trying to be ears when they're actually eyes, trying to, you know what I mean? Can you imagine what would happen if the whole entire body of Christ completely accepted their part? It would be amazing to watch. Grace means God does the work and the law means man does the work for God. You with me on that? Grace means God does the work and the law means man does the work for God. So now when we talk about the law being fulfilled by Christ, we're actually saying Christ will come and pretty much take care of that work for us. Since my grace is sufficient for you, and my power is perfected inside your weaknesses, then just maybe your works here on earth are an insult to me, as the one who brings you life, and life abundantly. So the law is still needed for unsaved people, and the law still needed for say people to remind them that Christ fulfilled the law inside them. Grace. Note, spiritual gifts are supernatural, or God-breathed abilities through the believer to empower them to do his work for the common good of the body of Christ in the social area of life. 1 Corinthians 12.7 Now, if we just back up and take a look at this picture as a whole, the only way that we could look at a healthy body of Christ as a whole, every member, every piece is functioning 100% in what they're supposed to be. A heart, a liver, a finger, a nerve, a blood vessel, Whatever. Everyone is finally in agreement to what it is they're supposed to be doing. What do you have on your hands? You have dysfunctional chaos for r- split seconds before it all comes together as one. But after it does come together, it's united. It's, united. It's, a it's a fully functioning body. And typically... When we think of a fully functioning body, we think of how many names? 16 billion names of all the Christians that have ever received Christ? One name. What is her name? Shall her name not be called Israel? One name. He has one name. The Father has one name. The Father. All the little references to each are secondary at this point in time. One name. She has one name. Your name will not mean anything on on the other side. And the only reason why it does carry value is because it better be read off in that list on Judgment Day. Your name better be written in the book of life because that will be your ticket on that day for life eternal So you can bear the name of Israel. So you can have her name. So the time God moves uh, significantly is when the body is gathered together. And that is going to be the rapture. Every part of the whole will be pulled together. And I know in our mind, because of the movies we've seen and cartoons we've seen drawn, they're just thousands of, millions of body members, you know, all still functioning independently. That's not how I believe. I believe on the day of the rapture that all body part members will be joined and fit together into one body. And we will come into his presence on that day of rapture as one body. But no, we have visions and fascinations and we write stories and we design movies that communicate that everyone has their own thing and we have our own day and glory. And I, I don't know why we do that to God. It's going to be Jesus Christ. It will be the bride of Christ. It will be the angelic forces supporting that marriage. There's not going to be 15 billion people Members of Christ sitting around the right hand of God? That's kind of ridiculous. There's going to be a woman. We don't know how that works. But I've got a feeling we're going to know very soon. He's communicating it to us through these scriptures, but we still tend to view these scriptures through science. How can you get a liver and a, you know, all these different parts? to start functioning in one human body. Kinda of messes with us. He talks about it often. How can Christ have intimacy with ten billion born again Christians? I don't know. Not sure it's gonna turn out like we thought. Maybe it will. So here's the facts. When two or more gather together in his name, he will be there ready to move within the body. We're still on earth now. And it can happen in one-on-one discipleship or it can happen in a group dynamic. But as soon as you take one chair and you add one more chair to the dynamic, you have shifted something in heaven. You've gotten the attention of heaven in a way you did not when you just had one chair sitting there. When God's dealing with me one-on-one, whether I'm writing an article or whatever it is that I'm doing, it is completely different when he's dealing with me one-on-one. But when you gather what just one more body member, something very significant happens. There's actually a promise. What is the promise? I will be there as well. Or you're trying to tell me you weren't there, Christ, when I was working on the article by myself. It was only when Mike came in. I'm telling you guys, there's something very, very, very significant God is revealing to us on one chair versus two chairs. Why is there a verse that says, forsake not the assembly of the church? That's the assembly. Some people think, well, just with one person. Afraid not. Two or more are gathered in my name. I shall be there. The fact that we are looking to a God that is alive and ready to reveal himself to us puts us in a position of expecting God to do a work. The salvation story I had last week of a guy that came into my office, which you will be hearing this testimony this weekend, is a pure example of that is the warning that went on within my soul not to put that second chair in place. I had all kinds of excuses going on in my mind from busyness to being exhausted to whatever. I wanted to remove that second chair. God had something completely different in mind and both chairs needed to stay intact before it was going to happen. Finally gave in and went, okay, okay, okay. Contacted him hoping he would cancel And he didn't. He shows up. And an hour and a half later, he receives Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Would that have happened if I would have kept the other chair out as a conscious decision on my part? Probably not. Three points we need to consider here. First, we need to come empty-handed. And if you have any things that you need to hand over to the Lord. That could be stuff you're hanging on to because it brings you security or it could just literally be acts of rebellion. Now this is time to drop those before the feet of Jesus. And God most likely will not fully use you if you are struggling with the present acts of rebellion. If you decide that to use uh, your gifting with the rebellion in your heart, the gifting will be promoting yourself. So I know we don't know the actual percentage, but how much of the church do you believe is falling under that? Probably the majority. Secondly, when we gather, we're supposed to come gathering to listen. Now I'm going to show you next... Well, it won't be next week. It'll be the week after. I'm going to show you a little simple diagram of what I use. I think I even used it with uh, Melissa and Marcos about how to follow one track of thought and then what happens to us ADD types. I don't support that label, by the way, but when I use it, people identify immediately. The distracted thinkers when they drop down below the deck and they start thinking about something that has nothing to do with what's being presented to you. and and they're sitting there and, and, and they're in your congregation, they're in your Bible study, they're in your fellowship and they're not hearing a word you're saying. You lost them 25 minutes ago. you lost them an hour ago because the deck, that road less traveled, which I believe is most traveled, is covert. You gather someone up here who has a need to have the spiritual gifting in that room to work to bring healing into their life, it is not going to happen. They're not hearing God. Their mind has been somewhere else for the past 25 minutes, so how in the world are they going to hear God for the pastor to put someone in the chair for the ministry of reconciliation? Won't happen in most churches. People are too tired. People are exhausted. People are tired of words. People are tired of messages. People are tired so when you have someone that needs ministry and then two or more start gathering around that person and the presbytery knows who's gifted at what, let's say I can put that person who is in need of ministry, sit them in that chair, and I'm aware of all of the spiritual gifting in the room, I can call forward and say, Abby, would you come and please share a word with this person in regard to their soul struggling with blah, blah, blah. Sure, I'll do that. She's going to want to do it because it's in her. And if I want to call on a prophet type, tell, tell this person what it is that they have to look forward to if they continue in this. Do you see what could happen? From one person sitting in this chair and gathering two or more around this one person. Now you have body life like you've never seen before in a church or have. Thirdly, it is important to know that when you come together that you are completely transparent in respects of, well, whatever it is I'm supposed to share, I'll share. Whatever I'm not supposed to, I'm not. Someone asks me questions, they do. It's kind of like I'm a window. And if there's stuff that you find on my window needs to be wiped off, I am ready to have that removed. So here's our facts to review. There's twenty-five gifts found in the Word of God. Twenty-five. There are two primary distinctions regarding the gifts. First is the one that we referenced earlier in regard to the charisma, the functional ministry gifts, which are which we find in First Corinthians twelve twenty eight and also in Romans twelve three through eight. And second, we find the uh, manifestation gifts. So you have the functional, foundational, occupational gifts that are given to us not just through the Greek, but also through the Hebrew. And it is like a foundation. And you're building this structure for the purpose of the manifestation gifts To freely function within that design. Because, let's say, this person needed a miracle. That's not a part of the occupational. The teacher, prophet, they can preach and teach all day long. They're not going to get their miracle. Miracles come through manifestations, through body members. So, you have the church structure set up through occupational gifts. And you have manifestations that actually come through the body. Not just the elders or the deacons, but through the body of Christ. The elements are this. First one is the primary element that we will be talking about. Is this uh, uh, dometa, or however it's pronounced, or the anointing. Gifted men and women of God, assigned by the Lord himself. Therefore, it is very important that we accept the stated three elements of gifts of the Holy Spirit. We got the functional, we have the manifestation, and we have the building in which it pours out into. We have the structure itself. Those three elements are absolutely needed to function within spiritual gifting comments or questions in regard to what we've said so far. It starts from the actual eight occupational gifts. One of the particular gifts that is given to us in the occupations is apostle, church planner. You would send an apostle out to Ephesus or whatever the case may be, and that one person who is released as an apostle goes out into that jungle or out into that community or whatever and they establish terms we use today as a church plant. And that apostle has been given the authority by God to function as that full-on role of eldership. That person is to train and equip other leaders to join in establishing these three elements. And so, as the elders step forward and he trains those elders to do their job and whatever, and they're put into place, the deacons are put into place, the ministry starts to be put into an overflow and then it begins to work. <coughs> That's how it's done. That's how it's always been done. To use all the, the, all the gifting of pastoring, teaching. An apostle is considered like If I would uh, go into my phone contacts and I type in apostle, I have 200 and some apostles. And guess where they're from? Africa. They believe in the original original definition of apostleship. You're a solo man that has been given all eight gifts and manifestations. To get things going and then they move to a different village. They do the same thing. Or church planners or... See, I'm being put into a position of apostleship and I don't want it. You know, to say to these guys, wait, wait a minute, hold off here. You know, let's just do a Bible study for a while until I get this thing figured out. Things are beginning to tumble down the hill and gather momentum that I am not ready for. Because of the seriousness of the jolt we recently had here to really rethink what are we going to do with this. I can't say, well, it's happening over there, so what? It's not happening here. I can't do that. See what I mean? But they're catching on to how this works. Because it's kind of how they think. It's kind of how they function. They view me as an apostle. And I rank really low on apostleship I need to make sure that someone comes on board that has the gift of apostleship so that they are very quick to put all the details together for like this church in now Liberia that wants to start up they just know what to do they know how to bring the follow up they know how to whatever my spiritual gifting is prophecy and exhortation and so I can shake the daylights out of a community and brush the dust off my feet and get to the next community. And I don't even think twice about it. I don't care who I step on, how I got to step on them. I just go do my job, brush the dust off my feet, and get to the next town. That's my gifting. To do what seems to be happening, it's going to take a team that is confident in what they do, and they need to do it. Okay, quickly I want to show you occupational. When we use the term occupational gifts, we are referring to the gifts that the Holy Spirit uses to manifest himself. Occupation is a job or a profession. It's what you do day in and day out. That's occupation. It is also a period of occupying or being occupied by the Holy Spirit so the fact that the Holy Spirit is occupying my body and your body makes the Holy Spirit now responsible for functioning in what the Spirit was called to fulfill inside you. A hundred percent. No matter what your rebellion shows, the Holy Spirit is required by God to be a hundred percent responsible for For what the Spirit is called to bring forth in in your body and in your mind, in your life. The fact that the Holy Spirit comes into our bodies when we become born again puts us in a position of being living vessels for God. God designs this vessel for a specific purpose and calling. And that calling is what we're going to begin to take a look at speak of the gift of prophecy, what that looks like. We're going to look at the purpose. We're going to look at the liabilities of of that gift. And we're going to look at areas of function. And we're going to do that with every occupational gift first. And then we're going to jump into the manifestation gifts.